Amen. 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 Hallelujah. Why don't you open up to Acts chapter 20 as you're turning there. Remember Sunday morning, Sunday night, Monday night, Tuesday night. Dr. Dennis Burke is going to be here right around the corner. Praise God. Hallelujah. And after the Sunday morning service, we're going to be having a potluck. So um, y'all look like a hungry bunch. So I know that you'll be glad about that. And remember what it tells us in Philippians chapter four, because of being involved in giving and receiving that God supplies all of our needs. So when we come to these meetings, you know, these are appointed times that God sets. So we want to be involved in those appointed times and then come ready to be involved not only in receiving, but in giving. And God is always going to honor his word. Amen. All right. Acts chapter 20, verse 32. The Apostle Paul was speaking. He's having actually a pastor's meeting here and he's getting ready to take off. He's going to head to uh, Rome. And this is the last time that he's seeing these pastors in um, in Ephesus. And there's just a group of pastors came from all over to meet with him before he takes off for Rome. He's actually headed to Jerusalem and then out of Jerusalem, he's going to wind up going to Rome. And he said, and now I commend you to God and to the word of his grace which is able to build you up and give you the inheritance among all those who are sanctified. Now, we talked about inheritance last week. We spent quite a bit of time on it, so we're not going to cover a whole lot on that tonight. But, um, you know, God offers us an inheritance. He puts it on the inside of us, and then we have to take hold of it and walk in it. Isn't that right? Well, he says here, I commend you to God and to the word of his grace. The word grace is pretty simple. It means his favor, his goodness, his goodwill, his loving kindness. And it's actually grace shows his disposition that is marked by his inclination to generosity. He's very generous. And the generosity towards us is not determined or motivated by our worth. You know, um, he was very generous to us when we were all dead in sin and he sent Jesus to die for us. The most generous thing he could do, to do that we could be delivered out of hell, that we don't have to live our whole life and then live in an eternity in hell, that we can be delivered out of that and our whole destiny be changed. Isn't that right? Amen. And of course, that generosity was unmotivated by our worth. <laughs> you know, we didn't act worthy. We didn't look worthy. We didn't speak worthy. But he, sure, he saw us as a treasure. Aren't you glad? Amen. So he says, I commend you to God and to the word of his grace. So it's this word or this truth of grace or this gospel of grace. And it is able. The word able is the Greek word dunamē which means it has the power and ability inherent within it. All right, inherent in this word of grace, inherent in this truth or this gospel of grace, okay? Inherent in that is the ability to build you up. And that build you up is very simple. It means building like in constructing or erecting a home. It's building you up, okay? Now, if you ever noticed, you've seen homes being built, especially if you live down here, you see them all the time being built. And the more it builds, the stronger it gets. In other words, you can start the building by putting down a foundation. Well, are you going to say, hey, that's good for me? And then you're going to go get a tent or a sleeping bag and sleep on the foundation. No, no. But what you want to do is put up some walls. And after you put up some walls, you're going to want to put up a roof. And after you put up a roof, you're going to want to put in some windows. And then after the windows comes everything else that you want. But the more that you build, the stronger it gets and the more able it is to be lived in. So the word is to build you up so you can live in it, not just try to use it to get something or need something. It's to be lived in. Amen. And that's why the book of Jude says to pray in the Holy Ghost, which is able to build up your faith. Isn't that right? Amen. Glory to God. So the more this grace builds in us, the more results we can have in life. Praise God. 
And he says it's able to build you up and to give you the inheritance. And the word give is the word didomi. And it is not in the optative mood. Remember last week we talked about the word give in the optative mood. In, in Ephesians chapter 1 it says that he would give to you a spirit of wisdom and revelation. Well, it doesn't mean he's just giving it to you. That was used in the optative mood, which means he wishes you would have it and he offers it to you. But then we have to take hold of it because he offers you wisdom and revelation through the true knowledge. So we have to take hold of the true knowledge of the word, which means study to show yourself approved, a workman not uh, ashamed, accurately handling the word of truth. We have to handle the word accurately. There's a lot of people that use the word. You can hear a lot of politicians use the word, but they are no ways near being accurate with it. So there's an accuracy or the true knowledge of the word that we take hold of that starts to build up within us and we take hold of that wisdom and that revelation that comes from it. Amen. So this word give that he would give to you is not that optative mood that he's offering it to you or wishing you would have it. It means to give of his own accord. Grace of its own accord gives to you. Amen. Gives to you what? The inheritance among all those who are sanctified. So that word of grace produces within you and allows you to walk in that inheritance that is deposited in you. The word of grace, it's able, has the inherent ability to give, to produce, and allow us to take hold of and walk in the inheritance that is in us. Because in Ephesians, it says that you would have that spirit of wisdom and revelation and the knowledge of him, that your eyes having been enlightened, that you would know the hope of his calling and the inheritance that is in the saints. When you became a believer, see, it's among those who are sanctified. When you became a believer in Jesus, that inheritance was put on the inside of you. Why? Because by grace, through faith, you were saved, and that word of grace at salvation deposited in you, gave you an inheritance. Glory to God. And we talked about last week that there's an inheritance for here on the earth. And then there's an inheritance when you step into eternity. Isn't that right? Amen. Glory to God. I don't know about you, but I like inheritance. Amen. You know what your greatest inheritance is, don't you? Your father's heredity. You have your father's heredity. Father God's heredity is in you. And this is why we say when you got born again, that bloodline's broken. Forget about what happened in your family. That bloodline's broken. God is now your father and he is your heredity. Glory to God. Stop thinking like the old man. Stop thinking like the old sinner. Stop thinking like the old uncreated being and start thinking like that new creature in Christ. Praise God. Galatians chapter 3. Hallelujah. I don't mean to get excited, but I just can't help myself. <laughs> Galatians chapter 3, verses 16 through 18. It says, Now the promises were spoken to Abraham and to his seed. He does not say, and to his seeds, as referring to many, but rather to one, and to your seed, that is Christ. So what I am saying is this, the law, which came 430 years later, does not invalidate a covenant previously ratified by God as to nullify the promise. For if the inheritance is based on law, it is no longer based on a promise, but God has granted it to Abraham by means of a promise. Hallelujah. And what, who is the seed of Abraham? Christ. And when you got born again, you became in Christ. So therefore, you're in that seed and therefore that inheritance based on promise is to us also because we are in the seed. That inheritance was put in us at the new birth. And what is it based on? Faith. Not based on law, based on faith. Faith in the seed. Amen. The law does not invalidate covenant. The law was not covenant. God made covenant with Abraham. The law was not covenant. 
The law was just a law. It was laid down and said, this is what you're going to do. So why was there a law? Because God needed to keep order. God needed to cover the sin of the people. He didn't wipe it away. He covered it. Remember, every year they'd have to come and offer sacrifices to, to cover for their sin. Isn't that right? Because, you know, I don't care if it's Mohammed. I don't care if it's Buddha or if it's the thousands of Hindu gods. They can all try to tell you how to live right and live in peace. But there's not one that'll tell you how to die. Only, only Jesus tells you how to die. Because he's the only one that has and came back. Amen. Hallelujah. So the law was to cover sin until Jesus came so that whoever received Jesus then got sin wiped away. So the Israel, you know, we say, you know, and you hear this all the time. Well, Israel was God's chosen people. Well, what were they chosen for? They were chosen as a people for the seed to be born through. All right. When the seed was born, then and this is why Revelation talks about Israel as the woman. The woman that gave birth to the child. That was Israel. Okay. The devil hates that woman. Yeah. It tells you that in the book of Revelation. The devil went to make war with that woman. It tells you that in the book of Revelation. But she was protected and watched over. And then when the devil saw he could not destroy that woman, then he went after all those that hold to the testimony of Jesus. Because he had a plan and he was one week out from fulfilling his plan and destroying mankind. And the seed came and stopped the clock. And then when tribulation comes, the clock starts again. And it'll be one week or a week of years, seven years of tribulation. The clock starts back again. Amen. Only after that clock is done, the devil's not going to destroy man. The devil will be destroyed. Amen. Hallelujah. Glory to God. And if you want to know about that, just read Revelation chapter 12. It's a recap of things that has happened. Verse uh, 22, Galatians 3, 22. It says, but the scripture has shut up everyone under sin so that the promise by faith in Jesus Christ might be given to those who believe. So the promise, the promise by faith in Jesus Christ might be given to those who believe the promise of salvation, the promise of inheritance. It is all by faith in Jesus Christ, who is the seed. And it's all based on that covenant with Abraham. That was the covenant God made with Abraham. All right, Jesus is the door to the inheritance. When you receive Jesus, the door opens up to you for the inheritance. And it's given to all believers and placed in all believers at the new birth. Amen. So since when you got born again, since you have that inheritance, that means you can walk in it. You're not trying to get it. You already have it. So all you have to do now is learn how to walk in it. Amen. Amen. Psalm 91. Psalm 91. I know we looked a little bit about this last week, but we're going to look at a few other things here. Verses 1 through 7, Psalm 91, verses 1 through 7. He who dwells in the shelter of the Most High will abide in the shadow of the Almighty. I'll say to the Lord, my refuge and my fortress, my God in whom I trust. For it is he who delivers you from the snare of the trapper and from the deadly pestilence. He will cover you with his pinions and under his wings you may seek refuge. His faithfulness is a shield and a bulwark. You will not be afraid of the terror by night or of the arrow that flies by day, of the pestilence that stalks in the darkness or of the destruction that lays waste at noon. A thousand may fall at your side and ten thousand at your right hand, but it shall not approach you. Glory to God. Amen. Now, we looked at that last week, and the words we looked at was dwell, abide, refuge, fortress, trust. And if all of those things are incorporated in our life, then the next thing is you shall not fear. You shall not fear. There's no fear. 
Amen. Even though a thousand fall at your side and 10,000 at your right hand. Who's the thousand that falls at your side or the 10,000 at your right hand? Who is that? What's that? Nope, not the enemy. Those who fear. But then again, who are they? In our dispensation, it's your brothers and sisters in Christ. Otherwise, why are they at your side and why are they at your right hand? If you go into battle, are you going to go into battle with your enemy at your side and at your right hand? No, who's he talking about? He's talking about your fellow soldiers, although they fall at your side and at your right hand, it shall not approach you. Didn't the Apostle Paul say, because of doing uh, and judging the body in an unworthy way, many of you sleep, many of you are sick, and many of you sleep because of it. I don't mean you're taking a nap. But that's a dirt nap you don't get up from. (laughs) You know what they say, right? We don't want to be getting on mail from the gophers. (laughs) Uh, So, a thousand may fall at your side and 10,000 may fall at your right hand. Now, how many of you, since you've been saved, have had people in the body of Christ fall? Whether they fall into sin, whether they fall into, you know, premature death, they fall in sick, whatever it might be. But do we look at those that are around us to determine the outcome of our life? Okay, you say that sitting here. But, you know, some years ago, back in 1988, we had our pastor fell into adultery. And many, and I heard it from many, they said, if he couldn't stand, then what hope is there for me? Now, we just make those off-the-cuff statements, and then we forget about it and go, oh, yeah, that doesn't matter to me about what goes on around me. But what have you said in the past? What have you looked around at and said, well, what about me? If, If that man, and he was a... To me, he was a powerful preacher. I realized I didn't know nothing. You know, I got saved off the street and I didn't know anything. But after being in that church for eight years, we saw some pretty powerful moves of God. And if he preached the word of faith and he didn't stand, then people said, well, everything he taught was naught. Well, what are they doing? determining the outcome of their life based on what happens to somebody else. Why? Because they're not dwelling. They're not abiding. They don't have a fortress. They don't have a refuge. They don't have a trust. It's not in the right place. Without realizing it, because of all those things that were said, And there may be things sometimes we say and we see somebody that we think is a real strong believer and oh, they believe God and and then they get really sick or they don't recover. And it's like, oh, I don't I don't know why that happened to them. What about me? I'm nowhere as where they were in faith. And we determine our life based on what happens with somebody else. And what happens is when we start looking like that and start looking at things like that. Fear is now driving our life. Fear is the driving force of our life. Why? And we're always hoping that things will go well with others, but not for their sake, for our sake. Because if it don't go well for them, how are they going to go for me? So I want it to go well for them, for my sake. And that's wrong thinking. Because the right thinking is it went well with Jesus and it's going to go well with me. That would be the right way of thinking. Too many times people think if they can't, then I can't. If it don't work for them, then don't work for me. There's what others say and there's what others do. But then what do I say and what do I do? You know, and I determined that years ago. I made that decision. I might see a thousand fall at my side and 10,000 at my right hand, but I choose the word of God, my relationship with the Holy Spirit, no matter who does what and what happens to who, I am not switching. 
I'm leaving with the one that brought me to the dance. <laughs> Amen. And I'm not letting nobody cut in. <laughs> so, you know, so what do we choose? Whatever we choose, it shows whether we're dwelling in him or we're dwelling in others. Who are we holding to? Well, who's given you the inheritance? Who's the one that's given you life? So why would I determine my life based on somebody else's race? You know, I found out a long time ago, I'm not racing against you. I'm not even racing against the devil. I'm just racing against me. That's my race against me, against my emotions, against my flesh, against things going on in my life. That's my race to race against those things and overcome them. Amen. Glory to God. Other people are not the seed. They are not the promise. They did not make covenant with you. And we got to keep our eyes in the right place. Otherwise, fear becomes the driving force for our life because we stop dwelling, abiding, having a refuge, a fortress, and our trust is no longer, it's being moved away from him. We don't want to do that, do we? No. 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 What happens in other people's lives, you pray for them, mm-hmm. but what happens in their life is their decision, their choice. And... Um, Some people can stand in faith and some people can't. Some people do. Some people won't. That's not your choice. You've got to let people make their own choices. Amen. John 15, 7. It says, if you abide in me, Jesus is speaking here. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. We love the last part of that verse. (laughs) But he starts off by saying, if you abide in me. And of course, we know abide means to continue. And abiding in him is based on the genuineness of relationship. How genuine is our relationship with him? Well, the more we abide, the more genuine it is. But then he goes on and says, and my words abide in you. Now, just maybe a few, maybe a chapter before this or someplace, I don't remember exactly where. But he had made a statement and said, if you continue in my word, then you are truly disciples of mine. And you will know the truth and the truth will make you free. So when he says, and my words abide in you, so who's he talking to now? Disciples, not just believers, but disciples, ones that take his word and abide in it. Okay, so abiding in the word of God is not just, well, I know what the word says. Well, I can speak what the word says. Well, I, I, I've remembered and memorized. No, it's based on obedience to the word. Because unless you do the word, you don't know the word. The only word you know is the word you do. Because whenever the Bible talks about hearing the word of God, it is always assumed that obedience is involved in it. So the word abiding in you and continuing in you is going to create an obedience to that word. Why? Because you're a disciple. A disciple is one that learns how to live. Amen. So if you abide in me and my word abides in you. So we're living with him and we're living for him. And then he says, and whatever you ask, well, we know he said to his disciples, well, you can ask anything in my name. Why? Because it's relationship. Genuineness of relationship. Abiding in him. This is not just, you know, the rabbit's foot. In the name of Jesus. You know, it's not that rabbit's foot thing. It's based on relationship. I'm asking why? Because I'm in him. You know, they that come to him must believe that he is. He is what? 
He is exactly what you need when you come to him. In other words, you need healing in your body, but you believe that he is what? Not only that he is the healer, but he is your health. He's not just your provider. He is your provision. He's your everything and your all in all. So therefore, when I come and I ask in the name of Jesus for whatever the situation is, I ask that because I know who you are. Amen. Amen. So asking in his name is a relationship, but asking according to his will is his word that we obey and we walk in. See, this is dwelling, abiding, having a refuge, a fortress, and a trust in the word. Because he is the word. Isn't that right? So we don't have to look at others. We don't have to wonder, you know, if it doesn't work for you, I mean, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to be in trouble. Why are you going to be in trouble? Does that person's life determine what you believe? You know, I looked up to my pastor. My pastor was almost like a hero in my life. And, um, you know, very, very instrumental in my life, in the development in my life. And, um, but when he didn't stand, what am I going to say? Oh, well, it's all over. Well, there were people that did that. And they still live back in 1988. And that's sad. No, he didn't stand. Does that mean I don't? Does that mean I won't? Does that mean, oh, now that you pastor, you're going to go down that same road as him? Well, I could if I didn't forgive him. But I did forgive. And I'm free from that road. Amen. See, we're talking about true knowledge, true knowledge of the word, handling it accurately. Lining up the scriptures, line upon line, precept upon precept. This is what the word talks about, understanding. Uh, parable of the sower, the, the seed that was sown on good soil. This is the one that heard the word and understood. The word understand means putting the, the pieces together. Not just having, oh, I got this one word. I got the, no, it's putting the pieces together. It's developing a whole picture to look at. Having all the pieces of the puzzle being plugged in and you can see the whole picture. You know, when you have a, 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 a five-year-old do a puzzle, you're not gonna give him a thousand-piece puzzle and go, come on, son, let's see you put that together. No, you're gonna give that five-year-old a... 10-piece puzzle, and the pieces are that big. And they put it together, and they're like, oh, look at that. And I put it together, and that's wonderful. Yeah, you had 10 pieces, and great, and that's for your age bracket. Well, how many times as believers we have those big pieces that we plug in, and we get a picture, and then we think we're the 1,000-piece master. I got this stuff together. <laughs> and we're glad that you got the 10 pieces together. We're glad about that, as big as that they were. You know, we're happy that that worked for you because if that didn't work for you, well, you know, <laughs> going back to the drawing board. But at least if you get those pieces put together, we can move on from there. Amen. Isn't that right? Yeah. Lining up the scriptures. Getting it all together in true knowledge. It produces revelation, understanding that we can walk in. And that's what releases grace into our life. Doesn't it tell you that over in 2 Peter chapter 1, that grace and peace is multiplied to you through the true knowledge of him. So if grace is not being multiplied, something's up. Grace is multiplied through the true knowledge of the word. Erroneous believing creates actions that does not bring about God's results. And it's the surest way of stopping our ability to take hold of the inheritance that is in us. And we talked about some erroneous believing last week, so we're not going to go down that road. But I want you to go to Ephesians chapter 5, and I want to start talking to you about what I was going to talk to you about tonight. Not to worry, I'll have you out by 12. We're, we're, we're good. <laughs> Ephesians 5, verse 5. 
It says, for this you know with certainty that no immoral or impure person or covetous man who is an idolater has an inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and God. That's when most people go, look at the time, I got to go. Well, he's actually talking here about the life of the unbeliever. All right. Now, we're not going to have a show of hands of how many walked in any of this or all of it as an unbeliever. Because we know we all did in some form, some fashion. Isn't that right? But as much as it's talking about the life of the unbeliever, it's also a warning to the believer. This verse could be very well misinterpreted to think that anybody that commits a single sin suddenly loses his relationship with God, which, of course, would be a doctrine of works that you work your way into the kingdom and you work your way out. But we know we believed our way in and we believe our way out. Isn't that right? So it's not based on works, but how we live is still very important. So the emphasis that he's making here on this verse is the same as it is in many of the other verses in the Bible. And that is, if a person can consistently practice sin without repenting, it's obvious the person doesn't know God any longer. No believer that has a relationship with Jesus can consistently sin and not repent. And if you can, then there's a problem with that relationship. People who can constantly practice these things or any similar type sins are giving priority to these things rather than giving them to God. And when anything that becomes more important than God himself, it has become a God to the idolater. And which is the definition of idolatry, and that is putting anything before God. Isn't that right? So when we got born again, we got born of the Spirit. And if we had the Spirit of God living in us, then why would we even consider any of these things? Flesh. We all have flesh. All right? You can't do away with the flesh. You have to control it. And you can't control it unless you're getting abled, enabled by the word of grace that strengthens you. We have an inheritance, don't we? And we should not be acting like those who do not. This is not a way to store up rewards. Amen. We are to live like one that's headed to heaven with many rewards of inheritance as possible for all eternity. Not living like those that are headed to the lake of fire. Amen. And like he says here, they have nothing of God waiting for them in the kingdom. And we shouldn't be like that. And we're not limiting it just to these things, but I'm sure that the Spirit of God can just, at this particular moment, start showing some things like, "Mm, yeah, maybe we need to change that. And it could be very simply just the way you talk. Verse 6. Let no one deceive you with empty words, for because of these things, the wrath of God comes upon the sons of disobedience. Don't be enticed by the words of men to follow after the world. Don't let them entice you. There needs to be a clear distinction between living in the light and living in the darkness. There has to be a clear distinction. The more you walk through that line, the more you want to hold that line and just be as close as you can to the dark while being in the light, you're in danger. And this is why we say when you get into the kingdom of God, you need to run as far as you can in and get away from that fence. Because your white is turning gray. Verse 7. Therefore, do not be partakers with them. Don't be or don't become. Don't become a partaker. The word partaker means a participant. Don't participate in the things that they do. Don't participate in the things with those that are living apart from God. Don't be talking like they talk. Don't be acting like they act. 
Don't be thinking like they think. Don't go and do the things that they do. Stay away from that stuff. I mean, God, you know, God, God's a smart guy. He says, don't be deceived. If you hang around with bad company, it will corrupt you. Don't think you're so big and bad that bad company will not corrupt you. You're probably already corrupt and you don't even realize it. Amen. Don't become a participant with those that live apart from God. You know, first, remember 1 Corinthians chapter 3? I think we looked at it Sunday talking about the church of Corinth and how carnal they were. And talked about how there was strife and jealousy among them, which was what? Things of the world. That shouldn't be in the church. Don't participate. So if he is telling us, because he's writing to the church at Ephesus, he's writing to believers. And Ephesus was a very mature church. And he's saying, do not partake with them. So if he's telling you don't partake of them, that means a believer can choose to partake amen but chapter 5 verse 1 tells us to be imitators of God as beloved children be an imitator of your father amen don't be a rebellious little snot like I was when I was 12 years old I rebelled against everything that was good and everything that was right would have nothing to do with anything that anybody told me was the right thing to do I would have nothing to do with it and I made a decision at 12 years old that if it's wrong, I'm going to do it. If you tell me that this is the right thing to do, I will purposely not do it. That's my decision at 12 years old. And I lived like that for the next 18 years until I got saved at 30 years old. And that decision at 12 years old did not bring me down a good path. Although I thought I was in charge of everything. Yeah. Till the day came when the devil said, he came around like the bookie and said, it's time to pay up, son. And I couldn't pay. And he had a little more than breaking my legs in, in store. And I was on the verge of any, I could have died right there. My life could have been snuffed out right there. And I was facing some decisions. And if I made those decisions, I wouldn't be standing here today. I'd have been dead back then at 30 years. Actually, at 29, I'd have been dead. But God gave me a chance and said, okay, son, I talked to you when you were 19. I talked to you when you were 20. I talked to you when you were 26, and you'd have nothing to do with me. So this is it. This is last chance. If you do not respond, the devil's going to have his way. Now, he didn't say that to me specifically. Because, you know, if he tells you that, you know, you're pretty much like, okay, I'm going I'm to go. Oh, all right, all right, all right. You know, but, you know, he's going to leave you in a place to where you got to make a decision. And I had to make a choice of what I was going to do. So thank God that he sent somebody into my life to witness to me and share the word of truth with me. And uh, that word that was shared with me is what enabled me to be able to make the decision on that day and turn away from those things and turn into the kingdom. Amen. Praise God. You know, and all the things that I did in darkness... That whole life that I lived for 18 years and the devil came that it was time to pay up. Just like we believe he did with Jimi Hendrix, Janis Joplin, Jim Morrison did the same thing. Time to pay up, folks. And they couldn't afford to pay it. Killed them. Jim Belushi. Whole group of them. That day comes. And that's when you realize you're not going to be the skinny guinea with the tiny hiney. You're just going to slip away and slip, slip out of things. No, there was no slipping out. The noose was tight. But what you find out is that God is good. 
You know, I, I never knew God was good. I was always told that God will beat you, God will bust you, God will break your neck, God will break your leg. God, God will just destroy your life if you don't do what he tells you to do. And it wasn't until I got to know him that I realized that, no, that was the devil. He was the one that said, pay up. God's never done that. I've known God now for 42 years, 43 now, 43 years I've known him. And he's never came and said, pay up. He always said, what can I do for you? God is good. That's why he's the light. There's no darkness in him at all. He is purely good and only good. He is not mysterious good. The only reason that God's a mystery to people is because they don't know him. God is so transparent. He's more transparent than the most transparent president we've ever had. He is very transparent. You can know exactly what he's thinking, what he's saying, what he's doing, and you can know everything and anything about God, and you can know exactly what happens in the world and why things happen to people. And yet it amazes me how many people will not ask. They won't ask. They'll just assume, but they'll never ask why. Where are we? Okay, well, that was a little rabbit trail. <clears throat> Verse 8. <laughs> he says, for you were formerly darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of light. We have changed from dark to light. And that change is a change in position. And now that we have changed in our position, we have to learn to walk in our position. When we change from dark to the light, and change our position, that's what you call positional truth. You know, in Colossians chapter 1, it says that you were translated out of darkness into the kingdom of his dear son because of the, the blood of Jesus and the forgiveness of sins, remember? Right. All right, so when you got translated, you changed your position from light, from dark into light. So if your position changes, your walking should change. Yeah. You know, when, uh, when I used to work as an auto mechanic for somebody, I was in a specific position, and that's what I would do. But then when I got into business for myself and had my own business, I was now the owner of the business. My position changed. So now things are different because now I'm the owner of the business. Are you with me? So now that position changes, positional truth, walking should change, and walking in the truth is temporal truth because you have to choose to walk in the truth. When you leave the, your body, there's no more choosing. Yeah. You're doing it. Yeah. But while we're in this body, we're going to have to choose to walk in this truth. So that's why it's temporal truth. Why is it temporal? Because you have to consistently choose. That can change if you will not make the choice. If we could choose to walk in darkness, and when I say walk in darkness, I don't mean, boom, I'm back as, a, as an unbeliever, living like a sinner, I'm back in the things of darkness. No, it doesn't mean that. It means that situation by situation, circumstance by circumstance, I'm choosing. Where am I going to walk? I'm choosing based on my attitude. I'm choosing based on my motives. I'm choosing based on my perception. I'm choosing based on what comes out of my mouth. I'm choosing on the way I act. See, I'm choosing, am I going to be light or am I going to be dark? And this is why I say again, you got to run into the kingdom as far as you can, get as much of that word on the inside of you and get away from that fence because your mouth is going to kill you. You got to get your mouth out of, get it away from the fence. Amen. Amen. You know, I found this, uh, you know, there was, there was people that I used to be ticked off with at, in life, you know. I'm talking about as a believer. I just ticked off with them. And you know how you are. You, you're just like, you want something to happen to them. And I don't mean you want the blessing of God to come on them. You know, you want something to happen to them. Well, I found that verse one time in the Bible, and it said in Proverbs, and it says, do not be glad when you do not rejoice when you see calamity come upon your enemy or the Lord will remove his anger from them. And I'm thinking, well, where's it going to go? <laughs> you know, <laughs> and I decided at that point, I'm getting my mouth right. And I will never wish that something bad happens to anybody for any reason, no matter what. God is the judge. He'll take care of it. 
Amen. First <laughs> uh, John chapter one, verse six. <laughs> I'm glad I changed too. Praise God. First John one six. If we say that we have fellowship with Him and yet walk in the darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. Now, what do we know about the definition of the word truth? It is the reality that lies at the basis of an appearance. So the reality is the unseen, and then there is the appearance. When the appearance and the reality of the unseen line up, then it's truth. Okay? So if I say that I have fellowship with him, that's what I'm saying is my reality. But I'm walking in darkness, which is the appearance. So now the appearance and the reality don't line up. And that's why he says you lie and you don't practice the truth. So it doesn't mean you are lying. You're lying about that. It doesn't mean he's, that you're lying. It means that. Okay, okay I got to say it. At least that particular part or portion of your life is a lie. Okay. And you're not practicing the truth because what's inside and outside, it's not lining up. And we know that that's the definition of the word truth. Isn't that right? So that's why, what is this, John? In the third John, he said, I have no greater joy than this than to hear of my children walking in the truth, where the inside and the outside are lining up. Okay? So if you're walking as truth, then you're walking as light. You're walking in positional, unseen, and temporal, seen. Grace, positional grace, temporal grace. I'm walking in both of them and they both line up. So therefore, it's the truth. And I've always said this, that when I was a sinner, I was a very truthful sinner. I was. I did not try to put on airs and try to say something out here that you wanted to hear or that you liked. But on the inside, I was like, no, if I was on the inside, you got the on the outside. (laughs) I was always very honest and truthful. I got so mad at this one guy. You know, being an Italian, you know, people like to call you different names like Guinea or a WAP. You know what a WAP is, right? WAP, W-O-P means without papers. So when Italians came in, a lot of times they had no papers. Okay, we have a lot of WAPs in the country today. Anyway. Anyway. So uh, there's this one guy, and he would always call me a guinea. And, and uh, you know, after a while, you know, well, fine, you know. But it just got so annoying. And I would tell him, you need to stop that. I'm going to hurt you. And he, and he wouldn't listen. He wouldn't stop. He'd continue on and on. He'd go, hey, you little guinea, you little guinea. Hey, guinea, what do you think, guinea? Uh, well, one day I had it. And I turned around at him. I jumped on him and grabbed him around the neck and twisted his neck. He, he was walking like this for like three or four days. And I'm thinking, a little harder, I could have snapped that thing. <laughs> okay, that's not an example to follow. But it's just, an, uh, just to show you that what was in me and outside was all the same, and I, I did not try to hide anything. So if I could do that as an unbeliever, I think I should be able to do that as a believer now that I'm empowered by grace. <laughs> Amen. Romans 13. Let's try that one. And hold your finger in John. We'll be back there. I don't know how you do that on your device, but we're coming back there. I'm sure you have a history tab that you can run back to on your device. But Romans 13, verses 11 and 12. Now, of course, when he writes to the church at Rome, he's speaking to believers. So he says here, Do this knowing the time that is already the hour for you to awaken from sleep. For now salvation is nearer to us than when we believed. The night is almost gone. The day is near. Therefore, let us lay aside the deeds of darkness and put on the armor of light. So he's telling believers that the time is to awaken from sleep. And what was the sleep that they were in? Carnality. The sleep they were in was being carnal. 
And what is carnality? Carnality is living right at the fence and keeping one foot in the light, but you're leaning over this way. You know, you're leaning over into the darkness and you're going, but I'm still in the light. Yeah. And that's carnality. So he says, awake from your sleep of carnality for salvation is nearer. Well, what is salvation he's talking about? Talking about the rapture. The rapture is nearer to us than when we believed. Well, it's nearer to us today than when we believed. It's nearer to us today than when they believed. Isn't that right? The night is almost gone. Well, what's the night? The world system of darkness. It's almost done. It's not time to get wrapped up in it. It's almost done. The night is almost gone. The day is near. What is the day? The kingdom of light. It's near. So therefore, lay aside or stop acting like the world. Put off your carnality. Stop acting like the world and put on the armor of light. And we know that the armor of light is the armor that goes with the kingdom of light that he talks about in Ephesians chapter 6. Put on the armor. And what is armor used for? What did you say? Battle. So many times we want to put on the ba- we want to put on the armor because I need this. I got to have this on. I know, I know. You don't, the only time you wear armor is when you go to battle. It's for war. Put on. Put on. Put off the things of the world. Put off the things of carnality. Lay aside the deeds of darkness and put on that armor and start making war. Amen. Well, what are you supposed to war against? Your flesh. That thing you're sitting in. Your biggest problem. You have the, you you know, the devil is not a problem. He's already defeated, but your flesh isn't. You have to defeat it. You've got to put it down. War, it's time to war against the flesh. War against the darkness. War against temptation. War against carnality. War against sin. It's time to stand up and say, I'm not going to talk like that. I'm not going to act like that. I'm not going to think like that. Mind you think what I tell you to think. I'm going to take every thought captive to the obedience of Christ. I'm going to cast down those imaginations. I'm going to pull down that stronghold. Make war and stop putting up with it. It's ruining your life. Jesus didn't die so you can live in a ruined life. Now you can if you want to. It's up to you. He's not going to force you to make any choice. But I'm telling you, he didn't die so you can live a ruined life. He died so you can live a victorious life. But there is no victory without a battle. There is not a wrestler that has gotten a, 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 a championship belt without a battle. There's not a boxer that's gotten a championship uh, a, a purse without a battle. If you don't want a battle, then get run over. But quit whining. Just don't whine. Okay. <laughs> If you abide in me and my word abides in you, ask what you will and it'll be done for you. If you don't want to abide, if you don't want to uh, abide in him and don't want to abide in his word, then you'll settle for what you get and don't whine about it. I think that's plain. (laughs) The armor that we have to put on is to war. You have to war to receive rewards. What are you allowing to rob you of the rewards of eternity? There are rewards being that is to be stored up for us in eternity. And eternity with the Lord is your inheritance. But what's the rewards? Everybody's going to have different rewards. Well, what are we allowing to rob our rewards? Thank you, Jesus. We need to war to be an imitator of God. We all have stuff in our life that don't imitate God. Thank you for your agreement. Nobody else wants to say nothing. (laughs) 
<laughs> we need to war so that we're not pulled on to act like the world acts and get robbed of a blessed eternity. You know, how long is eternity? It's eternal. <laughs> never ending. Never comes to an end. So once you step out of this realm into eternity, then that's it for the rest of eternity. You've done what was necessary to obtain what's needed in eternity. And there's no second chances. You don't give them back as a mosquito or a cow or some other animal or other creature, you know. One time, it's appointed unto man once to die. Amen. All right, let's go back to 1 John chapter 1. We'll close. Verses 6 and 7. 1 John chapter 1, verse 6 and 7 again. If we say that we have fellowship with him and yet walk in the darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light as he himself is in the light, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses, cleanses us from all sin. Now, chapter one of first John is all about fellowship. It is not about relationship. It's all about fellowship. Fellowship is temporal truth. OK, because we walk in and out of fellowship based on whether we're walking in the dark or walking in the light. A believer is not in the kingdom of darkness. But if one is walking in darkness, he's walking away from the light of the presence of God. So, Jesus said in what we call famously the Sermon on the Mount, he said, if the light in you is dark or darkness, then how great the darkness is. One translation says, if the light that's in you is in the darkness then how great the darkness is. Amen. You know, these are things that are important for our life in the Lord. A believer is not in the darkness. So think about the man that was in the Corinthian church. He was having an affair with his father's wife or his stepmother. And Paul said, I have turned him over. He refused to change. So Paul said, I have turned him over to Satan for the destruction of his flesh, that his spirit would be saved in the day of judgment. Okay. So here's a man that's a believer. He's saved, but he's walking in the darkness. And Paul says he's not repenting. He will not change. So I'm turning him over to Satan so that his flesh would be destroyed, so that his spirit would be saved. Why? Because if you continue on down that path, if you're walking in the darkness, you're walking away from the light of the presence of God. And the further you walk and the further you walk and the further you walk, you could come to the choice where you'll choose to turn your back on Jesus and say, he's really not God. He's really not Lord of my life. And at that point, you would lose your salvation. So Paul is saying, I'd rather you die before that happens so that your spirit would be saved. Because we know you don't get saved by works. You don't lose your salvation by works. You're saved by grace, faith, believing, and you lose it by making that same choice in the other direction and crucifying again Jesus Christ and putting him on the cross. Are you with me? Yes. See, that's walking away. And this is why I say, you got to get away from the fence. Because you could wind up going, well, I would never do that. You, see, you think you're smarter than the devil. You're already messing around with his stuff. And he knows how to deceive you. The Bible says that if it was even possible, but God had made it so it was impossible, that the 144,000, the elect, after the rapture of the church, he said, if it was possible, even the elect would be deceived. That's how great his deception is. Now, you think about deception. You know, John the Baptist sees Jesus coming to, at the River Jordan. He says, behold, the Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world. Isn't that right? And he baptizes him and the heavens open and the spirit descends on him. And, he, and the Lord told John, the one in whom you see the spirit descend upon, he is the one. 
Well, John saw all that. And what happened? John winds up in prison. And he says, is this the one? What happened? Now, Jesus said of John the Baptist, he was the greatest of all Old Testament prophets. And if that could happen to him, you need to be careful that you don't let it happen to you. And you're not going to not let it happen to you by just, well, I'm just not going to let that happen. You need to run into the kingdom and get as far away from that fence as you can and stop being carnal and get into that life of sanctification of what God has for you. Amen. Amen. Glory to God. If we are walking in darkness, we are not abiding, we are not dwelling, and we're not taking refuge. Without abiding, fear will rule us. And it doesn't mean terror and horror and, you know, you know, I'm totally petrified and fearful. No, you just, you make your decisions based on fear. Because there's only two systems in the world. It's either the, the, the fear system or the faith system. And if it's not done by faith, we're in fear without even knowing it. And if you don't know you're in fear, how do you think that you won't be deceived? Only by abiding and dwelling can we keep our eyes off of others. And it will be all about our own personal place and position in the Lord. And that's what it should always be about. Jesus said to his disciples, who do, men say, who do men say that I am? But then he said, who do you say? It's not about what they say. It's all about what do you say? Amen. Amen. If we're not walking in the light, which is obeying the word, then we're limited to what we can ask, what we can believe, what we can receive and what we can have. Our position has changed from darkness to light. So let's walk in our new position. A walk that keeps us connected to our inheritance. Glory to God. Not walking away, walking towards and in greater measures. It's a walk that increases our rewards. It's a walk that pleases our Father and honors our Lord. It's a walk that shows that we are awake, ready, and abiding in a living fellowship with Jesus, our Lord and Savior, the seed of Abraham, the promise of covenant. Amen. 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 Glory to God. You, Glory to God. Glory to God. Glory to God. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Well, let's just bless the Lord. We bless you, Lord. We praise you. We give you the glory and the honor, Lord God, forever and ever. For you alone are worthy to receive praise and adoration. There's none like you, Lord God. Thank you for the wonderful salvation. Thank you for the life that you have provided for us. Thank you, Lord, for all that you've done for us. That you have set us free, delivered us, and set us on high. Delivered us out of the lowest of lows and brought us into the highest place of creation in you. In the highest seat of authority. We thank you for it, Lord. And we bless you and we praise you for that. Thank you for your goodness and your kindness and your grace towards us. Oh, Lord, where would we be without all that you have done for us? Thank you, Lord, for your mercy, for your great, great love for us. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Now, Holy Spirit, I'm just going to ask you to take these things and seal them on the inside of us, that they'll come up again within us, that we could think about them, ponder them, and meditate on them. Father, for everybody in the room or on, online, Father, in the sound of our voice, whether it be live or on an archive, Father, I just pray for each and every person. That this become a reality in our lives. That we see the seriousness and the condition that we must take. We see the, that we need to be sober in these days. For the devil is prowling about like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. And if we continue to hang around in the area of carnality and continue to hang around the fence, I, I know that he is going to be reaching out to take hold of us. So Holy Spirit, help us. Help us to make the decision to run into the kingdom. Help us to make the decision to stand. Help us to make the decision to be strengthened in your word and by your grace and by you, by you Holy Spirit. I thank you, Lord. I thank you, Lord, that you are our strengthener, standby. You're our counselor and our comforter and our helper. So help us in these things, Holy Spirit. And again, bring them back up on the inside of us so that we can meditate 
and ponder them and that we become stronger and stronger in the reality of these truths. We thank you for it. We bless you and praise you for that in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 Glory to God. Glory to God. Hallelujah. Father, I thank you for the opportunity to come before you with our giving, whether we come with our tithes and offerings, whether we come with seed sowing or whether we come with our first fruit giving. I thank you that there is word and promise that covers every area of giving and that we take the right word and accurately apply it to that form of giving that we are giving today. And I thank you, Lord, that you watch over your word to perform it and that which we declare and that which we do in faith will produce results back into our life. For as long as the earth remains, seed time and harvest shall not cease. I thank you for that, Father, in Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen. 